Welcome to the Transformation Church Podcast, where we're leading people into a transforming relationship with Jesus. We hope this message inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you a fresh perspective on God and His Word so you can see transformation in your own life. Enjoy the message. So we're in this series uh, called Game Plan, and I don't know how many of you like to watch football on TV, but I'm a football fanatic. And uh, one thing that I've kind of learned through the years is that some of the most exciting, like biggest plays that cause us to kind of jump off the couch and get excited, which side note, when Florida State won its uh, national championship, um, uh, man, it's been a long time, but hopefully it's coming back. But, but uh, when we won the last national championship, we were in the, li- the living room and uh, watching. We had another family that was with us. And I got so excited on the, on the kickoff return for a touchdown in the fourth quarter that I jumped up and I pulled my hammy, guys. I pulled my hamstring. Um, so uh, there's a part of me that's really connected because I'm, I'm experiencing injury just like those football players are. It's just mine's in my living room and theirs is on the field. But anyway, anyway, rabbit trail. Um, anyway, so some of the most exciting plays that cause us to kind of sit up and take notice um, are not the plays that go as planned, right? They're, they're the ones that um, don't go as planned. And, uh, and one of those plays um, I want to show you today, and I thought about, hey, I'm gonna, I want to I explain what this play is, but then I realized that, that it's one of those that there's no way that I could explain it um, and do it justice, that you have to see it. And so um, let me give you a little backstory. So in 1987, uh, the NFL Players Association went on a strike. And so week three, I think it's three, four, and five of that season, all, all the NFL players were on strike, so the teams had to bring in replacement players, okay? And one of those replacement players was a, a fill-in quarterback um, for the uh, New Orleans Saints. Is there any Saints fans in the room? Two. Awesome. Um, <laughs> But here's the fill-in quarterback. His name was John Forcade. And, uh, and here's what happened in the play, and then we're going to see it, is he's the quarterback. He throws a long pass. It gets intercepted. It's fumbled twice. And then John Forcade, the quarterback, picks it up and runs it for a touchdown. And it's known as one of the top 100 greatest touchdowns of all time, done by a fill-in replacement quarterback. And uh, I want you to take a look at it this morning. Quarterback John Forcade of the New Orleans Saints authored one of the wildest plays in pro football history against the Rams in 1987. Up, throwing deep down the near sideline. It's going to be picked off back to the 40, 45, to the 50, to the 45 of the Saints. The ball comes loose. Another Ram has picked it up. This is a lineman. This one's going to be seen on the highlights for a long, long time. 28 looking to he ladder. Let's, the ball goes loose and the Saints have it. It's Forcade. He's got it at the 40, 45, 50. Touchdown. Touchdown and heart attack. My man is gassed. But uh, here's the reason why I show that. I thought it would be cool for us to see it today. 
is because when you watch that and you watch the interception, you watch the fumbles, you watch the chaos that's happening around the play and then running back for a touchdown, um, I think that our life can kind of look like that sometimes. Our life can look like that sometimes. Like we, have you ever done it? Like you run this play, this play like in your mind, right? Of of how you think that it's going to work out. So you buy this house or you end up taking this job or you get this specific degree and, and it makes sense during practice. It makes sense sometimes even in the season that we're in, but, but then the execution of that plan doesn't go quite the way that we expect it to. And that house becomes a money pit or the job ends up in a dead end or you can't find a job that has to do with the degree that you spent all this money getting. And, and now you just kind of feel like everything in your life is headed down the wrong direction. You're overextended financially, you're unhappy at work, you're getting behind on all of your your school debt, and you just feel like you're surrounded by confusion and surrounded by by chaos. And now all of a sudden, like like our life and and our emotions, they just kind of, they kind of feel like in that video, like the football that is just bouncing all over the place. And, And my question to you today is, what do we do when life is like that? Like, what, what do we do when the game of life isn't going the way that we planned for it to go? And I want to talk to you today for a few minutes about that, because here's what, here's what I believe, is that the way that we answer that question will determine the outcome of our life. The way that we answer this question of what do we do when the game of life doesn't go the way that we planned for it to go, the way that we answer that question will determine the outcome of our life. I want to welcome you again to Game Plan, where we've been, um, we've been trying to um, wrap our mind around three of life's most critical questions, and here they are. What is God's will for my life? The second question is, and why does it matter, right? Because it's important to know God's will, but, but then the so what question, like, okay, why does his will even matter in our life? And then the third question of, well, how do I live it out? And so we've been on this journey in this series. Today's week four, this journey to, to really see and experience God's will uh, in a clear way. Um, Last week, I introduced to you um, the wall. We can kind of count this or call this the wall of God's will. And, uh, And here's what I told you last week is that we can imagine God's will on the other side of this wall. And one of the reasons that that. God's will becomes a bit mysterious in our life is because God knows that you and I have a tendency to pursue what's in his hand rather than him himself, right? We have a tendency to pursue what's in God's hand for our life rather than God himself. And when we do that, we end up missing out on both. We miss out on God and we miss out on his will for our life. And so God knew that, that we were going to be imperfect in that. And so what he does is he gives us a spiritual window. He gives us a window to look through, to catch a glimpse of what he is doing in 
our lives so that we can have the faith to step through or to move through the window. Now, one thing that I've learned in my own journey with God is that his will is always outside of my comfort zone. It's always outside of my comfort zone. We would love God's will to be in our comfort zone, but it's always outside. And so he gives us kind of four tools for us to to be able to see uh, his will clearer in our life. And so last week we talked about the importance of the influence of other people in our life. We talked about who's in our huddle, right? And And the kind of people that we have in our huddle that that matters. Today, what I want to do is I want to talk to you um, from uh, this idea of life's situations, that just like the influence of others is a tool that God uses to help us see his will clear in our life, that he also uses life situations, things that we walk through in our life to help us to have a right perspective on his will. And so today, if you got your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 37. And uh, I want to talk to you from this topic, turning busted plays into big opportunities. How to turn busted plays into big opportunities. Take a moment, turn to three people, say, you need this. You need it. He's speaking to you today. You need it. One thing you'll notice in the Bible is that it is full of people that have endured some difficult life situations, notice this, before God's plan began to unfold in their life. And one of those people is a guy by the name of Joseph. And in Genesis chapter 37, we're introduced to the 17-year-old Joseph. And The 17-year-old Joseph is the younger of 11 other brothers, and he just happens to be daddy's favorite. Uh, Does anybody know that's a recipe for disaster, right? To to be the youngest and to be daddy's favorite. Um, And one thing that's kind of cool about this that we see in this story is that despite his age, God has given him a gift If you've ever watched Taken, then he's given him a very particular set of skills, right? Very particular set of skills. Um, He can interpret dreams. And uh, what this meant was that he had a relationship with God, but the problem was is he lacked the maturity in God because he began to use the gift that God had given him not to point people to Jesus, but to point people to himself. And as you can imagine, his older brothers didn't like that a whole lot, and, uh, and neither did God. And God didn't like it because God knew that a bad spirit could ruin a good gift, right? A bad spirit can ruin a good gift, Like maybe God has gifted us, right? Given us a gift, we could sing, we can lead, we can, we've got a bubbling personality, but with the wrong spirit, it can ruin the gift. And so God recognizes that he wants to use Joseph in a mighty way, but he's got to allow Joseph to walk through some life situations 
in order to begin to carve off some of the immaturity that's in his life. And so I want to, I want to kind of walk through some of the life experiences that Joseph had to walk through in order for that immaturity to be carved off. Um, if you look at Genesis chapter 37, verse 5, here's what it says. That one night, Joseph, the 17-year-old, had a dream. And when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Now, that obviously means that they hated him already, right? So now they hate him more than ever. Now, watch this in verse 6. Listen to this dream is what um, Joseph's getting at here, that we were out in the field tying up bundles of grain, and suddenly my bundle stood up. And your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. Oh, precious Joseph. <laughs> Verse 8, his brothers respond, so you think that you're going to be our king, do you? Do you actually think that you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more. Now watch this, because of his dreams, but not just because he was given the dreams, but the way that he talked about them. I mean, you can see the immaturity here in Joseph. And, and, and either, either Joseph is going to see this as an opportunity to push the buttons of his older brothers, which speaks to the immaturity, or he is completely oblivious to their hatred, which speaks to his lack of emotional intelligence. Because it says in verse 9 that soon Joseph has another dream. And again, he told his brothers about it. Listen, I have had another dream. I'm sure they're very interested to hear it. He said, the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars bowed low before me. This time he told the dream to his father as well to his brothers, but his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that, he asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? Now, as a kid, for me, there was something my dad would, would tell me when I did something that was stupid or irresponsible. He would look at me and he'd say, son, you're in for a rude awakening. You're in for a rude awakening. And that's what I think is happening here with Joseph. He is in for a rude awakening. Scripture says that, that soon after that, Jacob, um, his dad ends up sending Joseph to see his brothers because dad is hoping that Joseph and the brothers can kind of reconcile their relationship at this point. And what dad doesn't realize and what Joseph doesn't realize is that the next encounter that he has with his brothers is going to begin a chain reaction of difficult, undesirable life situations that's going to last him 13 years, but they are situations that God is going to use to develop Joseph into the man that he created him to be. The first thing that we see, the first situation that he encounters is an attempt on his life. 
The brothers are out tending sheep in Shechem, which was about 45 miles from their hometown. And so dad, bright idea, great idea, says, son, I want you to go to your brothers and I want you to reconcile. And so this time, 45 miles, takes a long time when you're riding a camel or walking, right? And so this whole time, Joseph is headed to see his brothers. You can only imagine in his mind, he's processing through, what am I gonna say? What's my like first sentence that I'm gonna, I'm gonna say to try to begin this conversation? And so he's got 45 miles to think this through. And, and, and in the environment that they're in, the brothers are able to see Joseph coming, the Bible says, from a long ways away. And so Joseph is coming, trying to think, what is he gonna say to reconcile? And the Bible says that as soon as the brothers see Joseph coming, they make a plan to kill him. <laughs> one's coming to reconcile, one's coming to drop the hammer. And so what happens is, is Joseph shows up to all the brothers, He's coming with the idea to reconcile. They strip him off his robe that the dad had given him and they throw him in a pit. This pit was probably um, in those days about three foot wide and 30 feet deep. And they just kind of leave him there to die. Then the Bible says the next season that he steps into is a season of disrespect and being devalued because the brothers then with Joseph down in the pit, they look up and they see this caravan of Ishmaelite traders coming and they change their plan. Here's what they decide. They're like, how are we gonna cover up Joseph's death to dad? Why don't we, with these traders coming, why don't we sell Joseph to the traders? And so they do, they pull him up, they figure, hey, let's get rid of the problem, which is Joseph, not by killing him, and then we gotta figure it out with dad, but let's get rid of the problem by selling him. And here's what's interesting about that passage of scripture, if you were to read it this week, is that if you look back in Exodus, you would discover that they end up selling him for two-thirds what the average slave cost would be. Then you see Joseph step into a season of rejection because he's sold again. Now the traders have Joseph and they're kind of doing their thing and then they decide they don't want him. So then they sell Joseph to Potiphar, the captain of the palace guard of the king of Egypt. And if you were to read through this this week, one of the things that you would notice a thread that happens through this story of Joseph is that even in the middle of some of the most difficult circumstances that Joseph would face, that he continued to put God first. He continued to lean in and to put God first despite everything that was happening around him. And because of that, we see in Genesis 39 verse 2 that it says that the Lord was with Joseph. But not only was God with him in the midst of it, but God also allowed him to succeed in everything that he did. You know, I think sometimes we look at, at favor of God on our life as something that only comes in the absence of difficulty. 
But if you read the story, you will recognize that it is in the midst of difficulty that God's favor rests upon Joseph. You see, I think what God was trying to teach Joseph, and I think what what would be important for us to learn and to understand today is that life isn't fair, but God is faithful. Life isn't always fair, but God is always faithful. And I think what we can glean from that today is to, to never let the presence of a storm cause us to doubt the promise of God. To not let a presence of a storm cause us to doubt the promise of God because sometimes God allows us to go through seasons we don't understand to prepare us for seasons we don't deserve. Sometimes God allows you and I to go through difficult seasons to prepare us for seasons that we don't deserve. While this isn't the end of Joseph's undesirable situations, we see in Genesis chapter 39, verse 6 through 18, that now he's being falsely accused. That Potiphar's wife, so he had been sold to Potiphar. Potiphar's wife becomes attracted to Joseph. Um, after many failed advances, falsely accuses him of raping her. And as you can imagine, um, Potiphar wasn't having any of that, throws Joseph into prison. And we see in verse 21 of chapter 39 that it says again, that even despite all of this, that the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him, and I love this part, faithful love. Not just love, but faithful love. In other words, what God is trying to communicate to Joseph is that, listen, you are in the midst of a difficult season, but he's trying to say, I got you. Like I got you and I've got the situation under control. And then we see, he walks through another life situation of broken promises. The kings of Egypt, as, uh, the butler and the chef, um, make the king mad. And so they get thrown into prison. And guess who they get thrown next to? My man, Joseph, of all people. And so here they are. And these two, the butler and the chef, they have a dream. And... Um, uh, just happens to be a guy who has a gift to interpret dreams right there. And so Joseph makes a deal with these two. He says, listen, I will interpret your dream, but here's what I'm asking. Put a good word in for me to the king whenever you get out. And so they promise that they're gonna do that and then they don't. Anybody ever have somebody promise you something and then they don't? And Joseph now experiences another two years in prison because somebody promised something and they didn't fulfill it. And then eventually the king has a dream that he couldn't interpret. And then God orchestrates the series of events in such a way that, notice this, that now the spiritually mature Joseph would be able to interpret it. And it's this defining moment 
When the king calls for Joseph and Joseph interprets the dream that, that positions Joseph and motivates the king to elevate him to second in command and governor of all of Egypt. And I was thinking this week, like, I was thinking about this story with Joseph, and here's the thought that kind of came to me. What would have happened in Joseph's life if he stayed focused on the difficult situations rather than leaning into God and allowing God to grow and develop him in the midst of it. And then the whole idea that not only did Joseph lean in and not only did Joseph allow God to develop him, but Joseph never quit using his gift. And it was this combination of the right spirit that God had been working within Joseph that had been um, life situation after life situation after life situation that God was using to, to develop and to mold Joseph. And it was the combination of that right spirit aligning with the use of his gift that ended up opening the door to God's purpose for his life. And I began to think like how many times in our life when we walk through painful seasons, we walk through difficulty, do we do the opposite? Do we pull back from God? Do we pull back from church? Do we pull back from small groups? Do we pull back from using our gift and, and serving God? We pull back the very things that Joseph leaned in with that God used as an opportunity to open the door to his purpose for his life. I think about the story and I think about the fact that he was in prison and it was this development process. And, and I think about today like, Maybe you're not in a physical prison, but maybe some of you today are in a, a prison with your emotions. Like maybe you're in a prison today of bitterness or, or unforgiveness. Or maybe there's a, a prison of unbelief or, or pain, or maybe you're in a prison of a broken heart today. And what would God be saying to you and me through the story I think he would want us to know that whatever prison that we find ourselves in, that, that God has a door that will allow us to exit the current season into a new season if we will allow him in our present season to develop the character within us so that we can handle the weight of the call. And if we'll allow him to develop that within us and we'll continue to lean in and to use our gift and to stay invested in the kingdom, that you and I will recognize this important truth about life situations, that God often uses undesirable situations to get us where we need to go. God often 
uses the life situations that are so bad that they fall off the window of life. <laughs> oh. I could just feel it falling behind me. The breeze of that hitting my bald spot in the back, I could just feel it. <laughs> but God often uses those life situations, the things that keep us up at night or the things that we cry ourselves asleep at night about. He often uses those to get us where we need to go. And one of the things that I love about the story is that it comes into full circle because there's a famine that runs through the land and Joseph's family have to leave their hometown in Canaan and they have to, they have to head to Egypt in order to find food. And they just happen to run into not a 17-year-old immature Joseph, but a 39-year-old spiritually mature Joseph who's now second in command and who's over all of the grain, the food for Egypt. And it just makes you wonder, like, how might he respond in that moment? Like, I, I think I know how 17-year-old Joseph would respond in that moment, but how would 39-year-old Joseph respond? It's kind of like this. You walk through a difficult season in your marriage, and you walk through, and God kind of gets you to the other side, and 10 years later, you run into the ex at Walmart or Publix, and how do you respond? Right? The 17-year-old Joseph would probably have attitude or whatever, but what would the 39-year-old spiritually mature Joseph that God had taken through season after season after season of carving and developing towards his purpose and his will or his life? I don't know about you, but I've learned in my own journey that that my story always ends better when God is the author of it. And I could just, I could just hear God say in this, in this moment as Joseph stands before the brothers, I can just hear him say, I love it when a plan comes together. And Joseph says to his brothers, not what you would think you would say, Instead, he looks at them, and in Genesis 50, verse 20, he says, you guys intended to harm me. But God intended all of this life situation that I've walked through for good. And notice here, it's got a purpose behind the journey to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. I think it's amazing to back away from the story and to recognize that a 17-year-old Joseph before life's difficult situations used his gift to point people to himself. 
And now the 39-year-old Joseph uses his gift to point people to Jesus. Friend, God often uses undesirable situations to get us where we need to go for this very reason, so we can point people to him. Our worship team is going to prepare. I want to end by sharing these three things. Like in light of Joseph's story, what do we need to know to ensure that the life situations that we face can propel us towards God's will rather than pull us away? Three quick things. The first one is this, is we got to remember what God has done. That in the midst of life's most difficult situations, we have to remember what God has done. And I love the Old Testament. I love how people would often set up monuments as a permanent reminder of the mighty acts of what God had done, not just a reminder for themselves, but it was a reminder for the generations that would come after them. And I want to challenge you with this question today. If you're in a season, a difficult season, what monuments have you set up? Like when you look at Deuteronomy chapter six, it talks about how important it is for us to repeat to our kids over and over and over again all the good things that God has done in our life. You see, I've learned this important lesson about remembering what God has done. Is that you and I will never have hope in God for the future without appreciation for God in the past. We can't. That you and I can never have hope in God for the future and, and what he's gonna do in our life without appreciation for God in the past. The second thing that we've got to do is we've gotta trust what God is doing. We gotta remember what he has done, but we gotta trust what he is doing. Do you remember Isaiah 55, eight through nine, that my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. And my ways are far beyond anything that you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. You know, sometimes we find ourselves in a season that doesn't make sense to us, but just because it doesn't make sense to us doesn't mean it doesn't make sense to God. That his ways are not our ways, that his thoughts are not our thoughts. And then the third thing is we've got to have faith in what God is going to do. You see, like Joseph, you and I in life's difficult situations, we might not understand what's going on or why it's even happening, but God does. And you and I have this unshakable promise in Romans chapter eight. And the Bible says that God, it is impossible for him to lie. So when we read a scripture like Romans 8, 28, there is a, a confidence that can be there 
that when it says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. That in the most painful seasons of our life that we can hold on to this promise and understand that just like Joseph, life situation after life situation after life situation that we can have this hope that we can resolve within our heart that at the end of the day that he's going to cause all of it to work out for our favor. You remember that last play of the video? The same guy who threw the interception was the same guy who ran the ball back for a touchdown. I would guess that if you're anything like me, that there's some of you in this room that feel like you've thrown some interceptions in life. That you've fumbled the ball some in life. So how was this quarterback able to throw an interception but then also run it back for a touchdown? He was able to do it because he didn't give up on the play. Friend, I believe that's what the Lord would be saying to you today. Don't give up. Don't give up. That just because life isn't fair doesn't mean that God isn't faithful. That God is faithful to turn your busted plays into big opportunities. So I want to leave you with this scripture found in Galatians chapter six, verse nine, that says this, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. Don't get tired in the season that you're in. Don't get so exhausted that you pull back, but at just the right time, that we will reap a harvest of blessing. If we don't, what? Give up. Would you bow your head with me today? I want you to ask this question. We do it every week. God, what are you, what are you speaking to me today? Maybe you're in a season of your life, a difficult season, and you've been tempted to give up or... Maybe God's challenging you in this season to to be more committed to, to church, to be more committed to your small group, to be more committed to serving instead of pulling away. Maybe you feel like in this season that you're right at the edge of despair. And what the Holy Spirit would say to you today is don't get tired. But at just the right time, I'm gonna open up the opportunity and I'm gonna open up the door. But in this season, invite me in to do the work that I'm trying to do in your life in order to prepare you for what's next. Just don't give up. Would you stand with me today? 
I wanna pray us out here real quick, but before we do, just a quick reminder, if today's your first time, hey, welcome home. Make sure you stop by Connect Center on your way out. And then our prayer team is located in the, in the corners here of the auditorium. And uh, they would love the opportunity to pray with you today. Maybe it's, maybe the Lord's speaking something to you um, through the word, or maybe it's just something else in your life that you just want somebody to come in agreement uh, with you today. They would love the opportunity to be able to do that. They'll stay as long as uh, you need for them to stay today. Would you bow your head with me? Father, we, we thank you for your word. And Lord, I just lift up my friends today that are going through a difficult season in their life. Father, I pray I come against uh, fear. I come against doubt. I come against disbelief. Lord, I come against the things that would cause them to pull away and to withdraw from the very thing that's gonna give them life and breakthrough. Father, I just call forth right now the spirit of the grind that Lord, that they will lean in, that they will grit their teeth, that even though it's a difficult season, that Lord, they won't just give up, but Father, they'll lean in. Father, we know that God, if you've allowed it into our life, that you're going to use it in our life. And so right now, we just hold firm to this promise that no weapon formed against us will prosper because what the enemy meant for evil, God, we know you're going to turn it for good. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have an awesome week. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's message, be sure to share it with your friends and tag us at TransformTLH. Thanks again for listening, and we look forward to seeing your face in the place someday. Have a great week.